This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. One, two, three. Okay. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, Divas, Debutantes and Girls Next Door, the best and worst female main characters. <sighs> okay. <laughs> you, you sounded like I just said, Madeline, I need you to run a 5k marathon. <laughs> 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 well, like I was saying, I, I think this one might be a dividing one. But uh, essentially, um, this has come off the back of a, a number of articles which Jules um, stumbled across. Uh, which, I mean, uh, you go ahead and you explain, Jules. <laughs> yeah, so I I sort of stumbled across one article and thought some basically talking about why people hate or love certain female main leads in films and books. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting perspective. And I read a few of them and thought, yes, I know, I agree, I don't agree, etc. Which is all fine, because that's all opinion. And then I did a little bit of a Google a few weeks later, as in to see if I could refine the article. And I didn't find that article initially, but I found about a dozen others on the same subject. Um, some of them were coming from different angles. Some of them were like, literally, these are the f- 15 worst female characters, etc. And I had a little look through those um, before I found the main article again. And I was just sort of, you know, the, uh, it was quite funny, really, because there's definitely some disagreement as to what Mm -hmm. qualifies a female main character as best or worst um to the extent that a lot of these articles actually contradict each other (laughs) so once again we're in the realms of opinion there and i just i initially thought that this would be a nice light episode where we didn't have to like do loads and loads of research because we can just say oh well i've you know initially read those articles this is what some people think this is what other people think what do we think but madeline's potentially wary i think of the <laughs> subject matter so i might have like ballsed up there we'll see no, how we go it's, it's not so much wariness um i think that you know as with all those articles uh this might be a dividing one and so i think it, it's very very important uh for us to sort of do our usual caveat to basically say that we are giving our opinions and our opinions are based off of our personal likes and our um you know uh, just personal experience so we are in no way saying that if this happens to be your favorite character that you are wrong uh, you're not wrong uh, we just have slightly different tastes and that is okay and this is not also us saying well you're, we're completely different from you because jules and i have slightly different tastes when it comes to these kinds of things as well so Please bear that in mind. This is not us, uh, you know, hating on your favourite character. Um, This is us just putting our personal feelings and our personal opinions with regards to what we happen to like and what we, on a personal level, find are the criteria for making a character, a female character, good or bad. I love that you've jumped straight to the disclaimer and I haven't finished saying what I were doing the episode. I'm so sorry. I just... It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. like, I've got to get this out there. Um, yeah. Uh, 
Nevertheless, looking at other writers' opinions is rich fodder for us as as podcast hosts and mm-hmm. as writers ourselves. So that's why this week, instead of following like extensive research, etc., we've got this list of examples and we're just going to go through them one by yeah. one and discuss them. And we don't have an end game here. We're not trying to win anything. We're not trying to, as Madeline said, prove a point. Yeah. These are literally just our opinions. Um, additionally, we have not prepared this in advance. We haven't compared notes. Obviously, we know each other, so we might be able to guess what the other one thinks, but we may well also surprise each yes. other too. We do do that quite regularly. So, um, yeah, the only other caveat, that, uh, as, as well as what Madeline's just said, is we're not setting out to say that any of the writers of the original articles which inspired this episode have invalid opinions either. So what really interests us is why we yes. agree or disagree. That's, that's the fundamental point. And obviously there are some female main character tropes that annoy us deeply. In fact, we may have run the full gamut from loving the trope <laughs> to hating it, to tolerating it, to almost loving it again. And it, it's not inconsistent for anyone to do that. Opinions should be able to evolve as new information and different viewpoints are considered. So a robust mind is one that is able to change when necessary. Yes. And if you think we're wrong, then tell us. We, we, we're happy to hear yes. that. As always. So, yeah, a nice, light, and hopefully fun discussion <laughs> on these. Um, so we've got a list of potential characters. Uh, there's one I might add to it a bit later because it's just occurred to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, we'll go through them one by one. I'll say, I'll paraphrase basically what these articles have said about these characters, both positive and negative, and we'll discuss it and see what we think. Yeah. Okay. And obviously you you sit there and you, if you're listening, have an opinion too. Yes. Having an opinion is fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, without further ado, let's begin. So number one on our list um, is Buffy Summers from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. So in the plus column for a, being a positive, you know, a best mm-hmm. female main character, is the fact that she, sub, you know, back when there weren't very many female main characters in action and fantasy roles like this, she's subverted an awful lot of tropes. Um, she's strong, but she's still interested in things that are mm-hmm. traditionally considered feminine or girly. Um, she is still vulnerable emotionally in many ways as well so it's not like she's just become this battle-hardened harridan who doesn't care about anyone else she forms strong friendship groups and one of her you know one of her leading um traits is the fact that she has this tremendous compassion that kind of gets Mm. overlooked by a lot of people including her friends at times but because she has to come toe-to-toe with the evil in the world on a regular basis I think it forces her to to really look for the good and you know she sees Mm. it in a lot of people and these are some of the things that came up as a positive in articles what particularly one article (laughs) really did not like about Buffy um, and said that she was like the worst female main character was kind of the reverse of all these things so for example they didn't like the idea of a woman in a fighting role like this because they felt it gave the impression that it was fine to punch women in the face because women could take it kind of thing um 
and also they felt that Buffy herself was a fundamentally weak character for the following reasons. The fact that they said she, you know, she falls apart when Angel breaks up with her and, and you know, just literally just cries and, you know, breaks down in front of Willow, etc. Um, the fact that she has this tangled love life that is a huge influence in her life and that sometimes she makes wrong choices because of it. Um, and the fact that she's distract, she's got these amazing powers, but she's distracted by frivolous concerns like wanting to go to the prom and things like that. So essentially, they don't like the fact that Buffy is physically fighting. They don't like the fact that she has a an interest in the inverted commas girly type stuff, and they don't like the fact that she cares about having a love life. That that seems that's the summation of why they felt she was presented as a weak character so throwing the discussion open between us what do we think well i think fundamentally a big problem here is that the thing they don't like about her is that she's a teenager yeah she's a teenage girl she's a teenage girl concerns of a teenage girl and this power that could save the world yes which are two things that don't mesh together very well and the whole thing is kind of a metaphor for being a teenager is hell you know school is hell yes and i mean i can understand you know people getting frustrated but i'm I'm certain that the person who was writing this article was not a teenager first of all um and I also get the the fact that yes there are people who really didn't actually do those kinds of things as teenagers there are I totally get it but the whole premise of her character is that she is one of those teenagers and they are flipping the story around by kind of saying that you can be whatever way you want to be um and still actually also you know, fulfill something, a role which up until that point, you really didn't get a lot of women who were doing that, which was kind of annoying for girls who were interested in that kind of thing, who did want to be sort of the vampire hunter sort of character. So um, we want to see ourselves as the hero. Yeah, she she was able to do both. Um, and I, Yes, there are elements which are outdated, um, and I think that is one of the main things that that Buffy Summers suffers from, is the fact that things have continued to improve, things have continued to change, and she is no longer necessary in the way that she was when she was first created. Now, regardless of what you feel about Joss Whedon and his approach to female characters, she had an impact at the time that she was created. And I, I think that you can't really, and I think she still does have an impact. Um, so I, I don't feel it's fair to sort of judge her in that way. Yeah, it's um, the whole, th okay, I'm gonna take one thing at a time, but the whole thing with her falling apart when Angel breaks up with her, I, defy anyone out there any anyone who was a teenager and had mm. what they believed a great love of their life as a teenager and i have to hold my hand up here and say i didn't um <laughs> and from the outside it looked incredibly awkward and painful and i'm kind of glad i didn't but i understand that an awful lot of people did and that when that first relationship ended it felt like the world was ending and the 
normal response would be to, whether you're male or female, would be to completely have a brief moment of your strings being cut. So in that respect, she's very much, you know, is it is it really that surprising? This is someone that she was, even as a teenage girl, envisaging spending the rest of her life with. It's someone yes. who is physically strong enough that she doesn't have to worry about hurting them. And she had a deep emotional connection with as well. Someone who could understand that she always had one foot in the realm of darkness and there was nothing she could do about it, but someone who could accept that about her. She has to hide that from pretty much anybody else um, that she she dates. So yeah. I don't think you can say she's weak because she had a cry when her boyfriend broke up with her. That's that's insane. <clears throat> what, sort of tr- what sort of logic is that? <laughs> yeah, uh, not least because... It- it was, and a big thing they, they pointed out was that it wasn't just that her boyfriend broke up with her. There's a lot of other things that are going on with that. Not that your boyfriend breaking up with you isn't also just a very valid and good reason to sit down and, and, and have a really good cry or several really good cries, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. at pretty much whatever level. When you really love someone and then they are no longer in your life, you can absolutely cry. And the devastating thing for her was that she really had someone who, as Jules pointed out, was sort of toe to toe with her, with whom um, she could genuinely be herself without fear. And not only did she lose this person, they made the decision to leave her and consider her relationship with other people leaving her, her her fear you know her fear of abandonment the fact that you know she's she's got this arc of sort of striving to to be perfect to to be loved and stuff like that and essentially what's happened is that someone has left her she has been open honest 100% herself with that person and it hasn't been enough Obviously, there were other extenuating reasons for why Angel left, but... Yeah. I almost killed you in a, a blood-drunk frenzy is kind of quite a good reason to reassess your relationship. Yeah, I, I feel like... Yes, exactly. Um, but the point is that there's a lot of painful things there. There's yeah. a lot of trauma there. Um, it, it would actually be very weird if she hadn't done that. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's just... I don't think there's anything wrong as a teenage girl. It's, this is the I think this is the thing that bugs me is the fact that for some reason being interested in clothes and looking pretty as a teenage girl is really sneered at, and it's a normal thing for any teenager, regardless of gender, to go certainly go through a phase and maybe stay in that phase. Ergo, it's not a phase, I guess, um, of sort of thinking, I'm interested in fashion, I'm interested in wearing makeup, I'm interested in how I look, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as that's not all you are. I don't think yeah. there's there's any real problem there. Um, you know, most people would, would ra- you know, even if they're not into wearing makeup and stuff, most people like would like to still look relatively clean and well presented. They don't want people to look at them and immediately like recoil in repulsion, do they? Yeah, and I, most people also will enjoy the chance to dress up. You know. Yeah, absolutely. It just might not be every day, th- but some people for some people it is every day and that again is fine, you know. Yeah. I mean, I agree with the comment that one of Buffy's strongest traits is her compassion. I think that is very much a thing that's there. And it's something I've always noticed is the fact that 
as someone with this power that she didn't earn, that she didn't really ask for, mm-hmm. and that is a burden a lot of the time, and she kind of complains about because it comes which has meant that everyone has died. Her, Just, you know, she, you know. Yeah, she and she's lost a lot of. She's had to sacrifice a lot through it, but despite all of that, she finds ways to connect with people. She finds, she, you know, she finds ways to love mm. people and to understand them and to you know, look at them with compassion. She's a slayer who doesn't um, automatically go yeah. to, you're a monster, I'm going to kill you. It's like, are you, okay, are you technically a monster? Yes. Do you pose a danger to anyone? No. So there are there are demons and, vamp- you know, a couple of vampires and things where she's like, it makes more sense to yeah. leave you alone than to, than to do anything um, rather than to be small-minded. So she's always being that's the other thing her compassion leads to this open-mindedness i think she's actually a very strong character and i think she's very flexible mm. in how she's strong as well it's not just about can i beat someone up she could have been very two-dimensional and she's not and the fact that she's not meant that we got an awful lot more television that was female-led afterwards so regardless mm-hmm. of the fact that joss whedon's a bit of an asshole, um and whatever you think about any of the rest of it not getting into it um you can thank him for a lot of what we've got now because yeah. of this, and because he had yeah, that and vision. Sarah Michelle Geller, who obviously, <laughs> yeah, who obviously portrayed it so well, portrayed it, and yeah, I think put a lot of stuff into it as well. Yeah. So, okay, okay. Uh, Sandra Olson from Greece. <laughs> <laughs> okay, don't say anything. I'm gonna go with go with that. Okay, Greece was All right. Greece came out. Obviously, the original musical film starring mm-hmm. Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta in 1978, which in some ways sounds like it was quite recent. But bear in mind, this is 1978, but the actual story itself is set in the 1950s. Yeah. So attitudes were very different and it was mimicking attitudes of a time that in 1978 would have been considered very old fashioned. And to us now seem practically prehistoric. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's take that on board from the, for the start. A lot of criticism about Greece being sexist or even misogynist um, or being deeply damaging in the message that it portrays has has been put out there. I don't need to say very much about that. I'm sure anyone who's seen Greece might be able to go, yeah, but the songs are cool, but yeah, you're right, that Mm. bit's a bit... And there certainly are sort of bite your knuckles, that's bad bits in it, Um, bearing in mind it's portraying the time that it was. However, there are also plenty of people saying, actually, if you consider the context of everything that the film was set in, Greece is kind of feminist rather than actually being as bad as everyone's saying. What you're looking at is how the male characters are acting. You're not looking at the fact that the female characters are making informed choices they're rejecting mm-hmm. stereotypical roles at the time and they're going for what they actually want. And because they're going for what they want, they are influencing mm-hmm. the men who are interested in them and who are around them. They are working within the confines of the system and then rejecting it and going for something else. So those are the, the, the opposing arguments, you know, potted yeah. versions, because otherwise this would be an episode <laughs> about Greece because it's that. That fraught, shall we say? Um, so, so kind of, what do we think? 
I don't know, I'm divided in a lot of ways. Um, I think with with Sandra, I didn't think she was a bad character. I didn't dislike her. <clears throat> She's a product of her upbringing. She is 100% a product of her upbringing. And, you know, uh, you know, there is this whole sort of this message of she is too prudish. And when she loosens up, she's happier, um, which uh, uh, that's a whole issue, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I think there's almost too much there for us to try and unpack. I, I, think, I, think, I mean, I used to I used to think that was the message, and then I sort of watched it again recently, and I was like, there's an there's an element of yes, she's too prudish, but she's desperately adhering to something that I don't think she actually no. believes in. And I think that's there as subtext. And it's noticed, I know that a lot of people say, well, the whole thing's about changing yourself to suit someone. But actually, if you think of um, Danny Zuko, mm. the, the main male character, he's actually thinking, well, okay, I'm this person. I know I'm this person and yet I want her. So I'm going to work on myself. Yeah. And he even stands up to his friends about it, not realizing that she's already gone you know what, I'm not happy like this. I want to be more like myself. I want to be more, um, if you like, sexually liberated. I want to claim my own sexuality, I think is the subtext of a lot of that. And she makes the choice. She already had the guy. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you in that I think, interestingly enough, the at the age that I saw it and stuff like that, um, there were a lot of sort of, things i think with uh i'm just gonna come out and say it, catholic guilt uh but yeah <laughs> you know? no that's that's perfectly re i mean i don't think she's necessarily catholic yeah no, but there's no. definitely that catholic sort of feel isn't it yeah there? and i think from a very personal perspective that my response to her comes from the fact that i was watching i watched greece at an age where i was very much in the midst of all of that kind of uh dogma of, of, of feeling very repressed within myself um and so i found her refreshing because i understood what how she felt um i understood I, the mockery that she would get from the people around her because she wasn't sort of adhering to that and also understood the fact that i think that some of the other girls um, were mocking her because they felt that deep down they had maybe done something wrong. And that the end result is, no, there is actually yeah. nothing wrong with this. So I didn't really, when I saw a lot of people sort yeah. of saying, oh, it's just a story about how, you know, she changed herself in order to meet that, I, I sort of went, oh, I missed that because I didn't see it that way at all. I saw it as the story of someone who is coming to terms with everything that society has made them believe versus what they actually want to do. Yeah, maybe I'm, I've been trying so hard to be a good girl, but maybe I'm not that kind of good girl, if that makes sense. Yeah, or that maybe actually doing that doesn't compromise her goodness, as it were. What does it mean to be good, you know? It doesn't compromise my moral yeah. values kind of thing. Also, you've got Frenchie in the background who is I mean, yes, she, people mock her because she's going to a cosmetology school, but this is in the 1950s when women were expected to get married mm -hmm. and keep the home. So she's determined she wants to go off somewhere and learn mm -hmm. and start a career. 
um, that's actually pretty subversive considering the yeah, context of the she's film. She's doing it in something that she's passionate about. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool, actually. No. <laughs> okay, um, Professor McGonagall, and I've weirdly slash Hermione Granger because I'm trying to keep it so that we're not doing different character. If we're doing char- different characters from the same universe, we're, yeah. we're trying to keep it as one one item on the list. Um, okay, the the good and the bad. Uh, I'll I'll make it relatively quick. I think um, a lot of people have have said that they find Professor McGonagall to be a sort of stereotypical strict teacher with no real personality, um, and they've said that they find Hermione Granger to be irritating, strident, and a bully. Um, and the reverse is that Professor McGonagall actually is a, a great depiction of an older female character in fiction who has interests and um, things that she's passionate about, um, who cares for a great number of people without mm. ever without it ever devolving into her being a sentimental figure, um, and that she is ultimately kind under her sternness. And then that Hermione Granger, actually her defining characteristic is that she is kind as well as clever and she could very well have turned into Mm. basically being some sort of like megalomaniac because she's so much cleverer than everyone else Um, and also that her her stridency and the fact that sometimes she is annoying is because she's so desperate for acceptance so actually she's vulnerable as well so throwing it open (laughs) i'm gonna go from the perspective of when i first read the books and the fact is that I loved McGonagall when when I first read the books yeah, me too. because I did find her to be an accurate depiction of of women that I knew, teachers that I knew, um, and because I f- and and perhaps it was because of that similarity, but I found her to be someone with whom you could trust because she she was fair, you know. She was. A, she had a great sense of justice. She had a great sense yeah. of fairness, which meant that yes, if you did something wrong, she would punish you, but she wouldn't be vindictive. She wasn't vindictive, you know. Um, and she, you know, she. I like the fact she had that little competitive streak when it came to sort of Quidditch. I like the fact that every now and again you saw that little rebellion. I thought that she was a brilliant character, um, who I respected a lot and in some res- in, in some ways i felt like she was the only real adult character i think who i sort of felt was 100% reliable if that makes sense um yeah i th- i would agree with yeah. that actually uh, whereas hermione granger as a child i didn't connect with her i i sort of accepted her as part of the group but i did find her to be tremendously annoying um and that doesn't mean that she was a bad character. Um, it just means that from a very personal perspective, I found her to be preachy. I found her to be um, obnoxious. And yes, I think that you're right, that there is a sort of, there is a kindness there. But I also thought that she was actually sort of vicious in a lot of ways. And that she was, she felt so certain in her way of thinking um that she really um you know never sort of actually was really challenged against that and i i don't know maybe it's telling or or not but she sort of represents um for me 
this sort of this very very loud uh social kind of um activist who then becomes so certain in the direction that they're going refuses to look at other things that they actually end up becoming a, a force for bad i mean i don't know i'd Perhaps it's all getting mixed up. All I know is that as a child, I just didn't connect with her, really. Mm. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I obviously read the books as an adult. I think I was mm. 20, 20... 22 when I first read the first one. Um, and I did like yeah. Hermione, although yes, I also found her annoying. I think that was kind of the point you're supposed to find her annoying. And then as you get to know her, you see beyond it and it's mm. like, oh, right, you you actually desperately want approval. And I can understand that. What I liked about it was you hadn't at that point seen very many yeah. girls in that type of fiction for children who had all the answers, who were the smarty pants. And if you were ever the yeah. smarty pants at school... Um, yes, you did get told to shut up a lot, um, which is not necessarily a message you should have or you should want uh, girls and young women to be taking away with them because there are times when they should absolutely not shut up. So it was refreshing to see that there. Um, and the whole fact that, yes, she can be a know-it-all and she can be annoying and she's got... It, I think Hagrid kind of has it in the right in the in the right when he says her heart's in the right place. So that means when she she makes mistakes, the whole spew campaign without even checking with the house elves whether they felt like they were in bondage, for example. Um, that's that's a great example of someone who's been really taken up with the injustice of a cause without actually checking the people it directly affects. Um, yeah, or or deciding that she knows better. Um, yeah, it's like you've all been of... brainwashed. It's like, or maybe they have opinions themselves and they they know, yeah, kind of thing. Or maybe perhaps you do need to campaign against you know, for structural changes, but that doesn't mean actually, you know, for example, the fact that she would just leave um, sort of socks and stuff like that around or, or or stuff like that to try and trick the house elves into being freed, which was essentially for them getting them fired, if that makes sense. Yeah, which they obviously don't don't want at all. Um, Professor McGonagall, I always loved her as a character and I always thought, yeah, I agree with you, she rings true as um, the best kind of teacher that you get at school, someone who knows their stuff, um, who can keep discipline in the class, but who will listen to actually yeah. listen to children most of the time um, and does have that kindness mm. under her stern exterior. So yeah, yeah I completely, completely agree with that. Okay, uh, moving on. Harley Quinn from the films. The big criticism is that she's put in just to be something to look at and that she's over-sexualised. And that I think the, the really big criticism is that I think it's in Suicide Squad, they don't like the really short shorts and the heels she's in. Mm. Um whereas other people have said actually she is a she's not obviously balanced because you know mentally she's quite unbalanced in many ways but in terms of being a fully rounded character she's she's quite an interesting study yeah because she's someone who's kind of embraced the crazy um 
in the sense of being um, almost an anarchist, a, a chaotic person who will then stop and quote you chapter and verse of psychology and say, yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, just because I'm acting a bit nuts doesn't mean I'm not intelligent. Um, and they liked mm. that about her. I, Harley Quinn's a difficult one for me. I've seen films and adaptations where I've sort of felt that she's been an interesting character, but that's usually when she's kind of there balanced out by something else. Um, and on her yeah. own, I don't really have a lot of connection to her. Um, but again, that is personal preference and less to do with the way she's dressed and more to do with just her general shtick. It doesn't tend to do it for me. Um, the whole thing kind of actually sort of gives me the creepy crawlies, particularly her and Joker, um, when I see it being done in the comics and being depicted for what it is, which is this abusive relationship, I think, you know, that's really engaging. Um, and you can sort of, she's a very interesting character in that respect. Uh, but I think the way that a lot of society has sort of, um, played around with her as this, this weird romance story is the way she's kind of depicted by the fandom has affected the way that people actually read her in the canon and that is i think also one of the other big problems with a comic book character is that what is well, the canon yeah, absolutely because there are so many versions Definitely. of her um so it's really hard to say but i, I think mostly for the most part I'm, i haven't been that engaged i don't really care about her uh, but i do think she's an interesting character yeah um i i'm not someone who's going to immediately say oh well that person should not be wearing skimpy clothing because mm. quite frankly there's a time and a place for skimpy clothing for some people it does not necessarily mean that that person then loses value and i think that's a problematic argument in and of itself yeah um i kind of liked her as a character in birds of prey because she's set off really nicely by the other three would-be sort of dark superheroes in that yeah. and it's it's actually quite a funny film even though a lot of people have argued well, yeah but she's doing all of this because she's split up with the joker etc and it's like you can't see that this is admittedly a very extreme dark romance version of somebody who is grieving the end of a relationship that has been quite fundamental for them no matter how bad that relationship was and is actually claiming parts of herself back and like I, I'm not saying it's aspirational, but I did think it was interesting. So I don't think she really deserves the, oh, she's just there to be some slut to be looked at kind no. of rhetoric. Um, but I also don't think she's like, yeah, we should totally be Harley Quinn and the Joker either, yeah. because that's really weird. Again, people get out of it what what, what they want, and, and that's totally fine. I just know that from a personal perspective, it doesn't work for me. Yeah. All right. Brienne of Tarth, uh, okay. Sansa Stark, uh, and Arya Stark. Yeah, um, Game of Thrones actually does have a lot of great female characters, and then it tends to... I should have put Daenerys down as well, actually, yeah. in fairness. Uh, big, big oversight on my part there. But this is kind of like the Game of Thrones female character segment, and we're going to have to be really quick, um, because we, otherwise we could just be here just talking yeah. about them. Um, uh, a lot of people do not like Sansa Stark, mm. because they think she's stupid. A lot of people like Sansa Stark because she suffered something, something was done to her, and they feel that she was rewarded at the end of it. 
Um, a lot of people don't like Arya because they feel like she's trademark female with a sword kind of thing, and they have the same issue with Brienne. Um, and it, it's very similar arguments for all of them. The same with Daenerys. A lot of people are, feel that... Of, I don't want to get into the structure of the show too much, um, just mm. because we've obviously talked about that before. But that basically Daenerys was a great female character and yeah. then was done dirty by the show, if you see what I mean. Um, and I think... I mean, to be honest, throwing it open, I th- and I'm the, I want to preface this with, I don't think yeah. I've got the absolute right opinion here <laughs> because there'll be things I haven't noticed. I think Game of Thrones is a very engaging show that had some great characters and some great female characters especially, and then it didn't always treat those female characters right. Um, or didn't treat them in a way that was consistent with their character arcs, perhaps is a better way of putting it. I mean, I like Brienne of Tarth, but the whole thing with it being like a necessary duty for her to lose her virginity before the the fight with the Night King um, was kind of an issue for me. And the whole her still pining over Jaime at the end, just, again, that did not Mm. feel consistent with her character, I think, is the issue. I to this day I still dislike Sansa Stark um, and I realise I am aware that this, this is unfair if we look at the books I mean she was basically a child who was duped and was believing in fairy tales and then she had to somehow survive however I genuinely don't think just surviving means that you become a better wiser person I need people to demonstrate that experience has resulted in wisdom and I don't feel that the show actually did that particularly well. Ergo, I still don't like the character and I can't help feeling that she was still stupid by the end of it. Um, I did really like Aya, but once again, I kind of felt that her arc in the show, after she, you know, she did a couple mm. of cool things. She obviously killed the Night King and she did her whole face changing, I'm going to take revenge on this family thing, which is brilliant. Um, but then she's riding off to to King's Landing with the Hound and he's like, no, don't. If you go down this path, you'll never go back again. It just didn't seem very likely that Arya would have turned aside at that point. Not the show, Arya. No. I have to say, I haven't read all the books because I got bored. Yeah. Uh, I managed to get through all of them. Um, I was getting incredibly bored by the end, not going to lie. Um, and I, I think one of the big things that we really do miss out is the fact that particularly with Sansa, particularly with Aya, particularly with Danny, they're children. They're young. We're seeing them through some of the biggest formative years of their lives. And that does change things, you know, in how they behave, in how they respond to things. Um, because we do start to see Sansa getting wise. Um, and she's she begins to get wise i think in particular with how she under how she is able to grapple any kind of power which she can get hold of and she has very limited power for a lot of the time uh, but one of the big things that she learns to do um is to actually lie and it, it sounds like such a very silly thing but she figures out that this is a good survival technique so she becomes the person that others want her to be 
in order to kind of get through a situation. And again, if you thought of it in terms of, well, this is a grown adult and stuff like that, people say, oh, you know, she was emotionally sort of manipulative and in that way she was quite clever. I think, again, if you think this is a child and she's developed this survival technique, it's, an, it's a very engaging story. I became more and more engaged with Sansa the further on we got with the books because I was watching her through this journey where she went from being this fairy tale believing child to being someone who has kind of drawn a ruthless line that says, I will be what I need to be in order to survive. And what she needs to be very often is to appear as someone who is defenseless, is to appear as someone who, um, you know, doesn't quite know what's going on. And then to use situations to their advantage and we really do start to get that at the end of the you know at the end of of where we've left off because also first of all she's never married to ramsey bolton in the books that isn't a thing that happens to her um you know <laughs> and it is it's somebody else yeah no, I, and so I that isn't that. part her surviving that isn't part of her story it's somebody else um instead we start to see her slowly building power with what with the tools which are at, at her hand. And it's the same with Aya, except the tools which are Aya's hands are very different. And once more, she's a child. She doesn't have everything planned out. All she knows is there's this incredible hatred, which she does even start to question at one point, you know, when she's with the Hound. Um, and she suddenly can't even remember the butcher's boy that she wanted to actually kill him for and stuff like that. Um, and so you have this whole seesawing thing. So I found them to be incredibly engaging characters because you don't get the sense of them being these adults with a very clear destination in mind, building things up and stuff like that. You get this sense of the, these being young children who over these years and through turmoil and hardship are being forced to become teenagers and then adults and who are just doing what they can with what's in front of them. Yeah. So, as I said, I haven't read all the books and basically my issues are more with how the show treats some of the female characters. But Yeah. Okay, uh, Bella Swan, Twilight. Yeah, um, we won't go into too much detail because we have probably championed Bella before, but just to reiterate what opinions are, on one side, people love the fact that she is a quieter character, that she's, you know, if we're going by the book character, she's, she's, she's funny, she's quite snarky, but she's also kind. Um, she's old for her age and she has strong principles and she's obviously intelligent um, to a degree and on... <laughs> sorry <laughs> no she's she's very intelligent the, the very intelligent people can have really stupid relationships I think we can yeah. all agree on that on the other side of the coin there are people who think she's two-dimensional she's just a mask for women to look through um, why that should be a problem when there's such a huge market for fancy sorry romance books rather that do exactly that and the same for men um don't know and that she's not very interesting she has no personality etc etc i mean i think i know what your thoughts about this are well do you want to have your own <laughs> <laughs> nope nope i don't want to have thoughts you can do all the thinking for me no uh <laughs> No, I agree. I think she is a more nuanced character. I do think there is a two-dimensional element to her, which there is supposed to be. But maybe also part of that comes in the fact that she is a quieter character. Um, and in that, because quieter people, we tend to actually be able to project on that. Um, 
I think the problem is that she's a character which has suffered so much by her reputation and the book's reputation and the films and stuff like that that no one can actually really read the book now without carrying all of that on top of it even in their subconscious and that is always going to affect the way that you read and understand the character um potentially i would think if you were kind of a dyed in the wool fan of the books before the films got made etc you'd be looking at some of these arguments a bit no i i agree i i do agree um i think it, it, it is one of those things that in that it's very difficult to look at it look look at it from a fresh perspective now because there is so much behind that um and in that way perhaps yeah. it's also difficult for us to remember because we also tend to discredit our own teenage selves which is very unkind of us really um i know that when i read it as a child i i liked the books i mostly liked her i think there are a few times where i was incredibly frustrated with her and and didn't like what she was doing at all i, I just felt angry um but again that's a very personal thing and i don't sort of actually think any anything less um of anyone who really do like her um she just happens to not be quite the the sort of the person that sorry not person but the character that i would connect with um I think she is actually a much more three-dimensional character than people like to say. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think yeah. the whole thing's been given a lot of unfair treatment, as we've talked about in the past, so I won't, won't go into that. Um, and you're right, people do tend to discount their teenage selves. I think in some ways this big love story that is the main thrust of the thrust of the plot basically is she's not just choosing someone else she's kind of choosing herself and this is someone who's actually selflessly put her own needs yeah. behind her mother's and then later other people's for her entire life so there's just this one thing this one life that she's like no this is where i actually belong um, yeah i i can deserve love i can deserve devotion of my own and you can sit back and you can watch that and think, my God, that's a train crash. Um, but at the same time, she is absolutely making her own informed choice about that train crash. <laughs> so it's unfair, I think, for people to say that she's two dimensional and that she has no agency. Because I've seen characters who are like, who are very, um, yeah, stick it to the man and bitchy quips, etc., who, who have absolutely no agency. Mm. And I do always find it ironic that people are, will tout some of those characters and say how great they are. And I'm like, do you actually know what you're reading? <laughs> and again, not to say that my opinion is right, but I I can't help raising an eyebrow when mm. they're, they're, they're so derogatory about a quieter character. And yeah. it almost always is a quieter character. It's like instead of tearing that down, maybe just accept that that is not a character you connect with. That, I mean, that that's fine. Sometimes characters are written so badly that you're like, actually, uh, there is literally nothing for me to connect with that yeah, I don't absolutely. know what's going on. Uh, but usually you find a consensus of opinion, people saying the same thing. Okay, uh, Elena Gilbert, The Vampire Diaries. So... I am mostly talking about the books because the show was bloody awful. It changed everything for the worst. Um, in the show, people complain that 
Elena is basically there just to complain about things and that she's like a knockoff Bella Swan character and that she's not interesting. And it, it very much is a case of, mm. yes, people, they, they made the shows in the wake of Twilight being such a huge runaway success because they wanted to cash in on that sort of idea, even though the Vampire Diaries were written decades before Twilight. Um, in the books, she's a much more interesting character. She's not a nice person. She's blonde, she's beautiful, she's lost her parents at a very early stage in her life and her aunt is raising her and she has a small younger sister who's only sort of four years old. So at 17, she's dealing with the fact that she lost her parents when she was about 12. Um, and there's, there's, you know, she's kind of, getting a lot of her sense of worth and power from making boys look at her. She is a queen bee character. She rules yeah. the school. She is the popular girl that all the boys want and all the girls want to be. And yes, some of that seems quite outdated now, probably. Um, but again, these books were written decades ago. And the, the entire series of books are about her becoming mm. a better version of herself before she finally sacrifices herself for the town, which at that point had made an outcast of her because she'd fallen in love with the vampire so she ends up dying at the end of the first at the end of the trilogy um, we're going to ignore the books that come after that because they're fucking nuts uh, but that of that trilogy she's you know her best friend bonnie has the final word and she said you know this this was elena she wasn't always sweet and nice and light uh, she wasn't always someone that you wanted to hang out with mm. Um, but when push came to shove, she was brave and she loved her, she loved yeah. everyone. She loved her people and she was willing to sacrifice herself for them. I think that's a much more interesting character than what they did in the show. And I, you know, I didn't really watch the show religiously. I think I caught the first season and thought this is bollocks. I can't, I can't comment because I never read or saw either. So, <laughs> I mean. If you'd been a teenager, I'd have said you might enjoy the books. I wouldn't necessarily recommend them now because I think you'd find them a bit dated. Um, but the show, I'm like, I don't personally feel you're missing anything, although it has many, many devotees yeah. out there. So maybe it has, maybe it redeems itself from season two onwards. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, uh, Jennifer Walters from She-Hulk. Yeah, um, on one side, we've got people uh, men complaining that she is too feminist a character and on the other side we have got people uh, feminists complaining that she is not feminist enough and that she's too interested in her law career and in dating etc and not interested enough in her superpowers yeah. um look i i'm, I'm gonna be flat i can't really give a proper opinion about this uh, simply because I just have no engagement, no desire to engage with this character, just on a very surface level. There, There is nothing which draws me in. Um, the Hulk stories in general never drew me in, um, and the little bits and bobs that I've seen have just basically felt more repellent to me on a, on a personal level. Um, I am totally willing to listen to people who've said yes, that they really enjoyed it and that's absolutely fine. But there's just not been anything which has made me feel, yes, I'm actually gonna put some time aside to 
read or watch this it just doesn't seem to be for me so yep that's fair enough um i did really enjoy the show i thought it was pretty funny i didn't have a problem with the fact that she was she didn't become a completely different person okay she became a different person in some respects when she became the hulk but she also was coherent and she was in control of herself right up until she wasn't um, and she was still very much interested in her law career. I don't see that it's anti-feminist. This is so weird. This is such a weird argument to say that someone who is suddenly given superpowers should absolutely then join the Avengers or whatever, because maybe the best way for her to make a difference is actually to continue pursuing her career in law. Um, and also, are we saying that women who have careers and who also maybe have superpowers or whatever, extreme example, are we saying that they should never be interested in dating anyone? Because isn't that kind of a bit two-faced when almost all the male superheroes have a girlfriend with complications issue or girlfriend with tragic backstory or girlfriend who gets fridged scenario going on? Yeah, I think maybe the issue is that with a lot of the time with the superheroes, it's the women are pursuing them. Um, or it's a sort of a, um, a a sort of a femme fatale kind of character, whereas people seem to be afraid of doing that with some female characters. I I don't know. Um, and like I said, I haven't watched it, so I cannot judge on that. So maybe that's what it's to do with. But... Yeah. Um, but anyway, I I did not find either the positive or the negative arguments to be correct. It's not the best thing I've ever watched, but it was still one of the better offerings of the many many spin-offs that disney is is thrusting down our throats yeah in my opinion okay uh since we're on marvel carol danvers captain marvel my god did this get a lot of flack from both camps yeah. <laughs> on one side we've got people saying that she's basically as interesting as blank paper and on the other we've got people saying that you know she's not a realistic female character etc etc um what they mean by realistic do they mean that her costume is not skimpy enough maybe or that she's too overpowered that might be a legitimate argument in some respects or i don't know but people seem to have a real issue with the fact that she's not a very emotional character as in you can only be a powerful superhero if you've got if maybe you're a little bit unstable or you're a bit emotional, or what have you. You can't take things in yeah. your stride and just process things. Um, on the other hand, we've also got people who said she was a brilliant character, great showrunner. Um, she wasn't just like a stand-in mm. male character who happened to be female, if you see what I mean. I think that was the other argument, that you could take her out and it didn't matter whether she was female or not. I would actually argue that if you take a character... Um, in that sort of story where gender doesn't really matter yeah. then actually that makes her a better character uh, if you see what I mean yeah. I, it's difficult again um, because I feel like maybe I cannot give a balanced view uh, simply because of my own preferences um, I think that she is a nuanced character um, and that I maybe personally didn't always connect with her is um, a very personal thing but what's more i do think it's just it's a middle ground and that anyone who tries to claim it's one way or the other um isn't appreciating the different you know 
opinions and and the different experiences of others. Yeah, it's we don't need stock female character. Yeah. We we need characters who happen to be female. I think that's that's the real issue. And Marvel hasn't traditionally always been great at doing that. Um, so they're working with material which is, you know, some of it's pretty old now, and which is a bit flawed in places, which, you know, fine. And that's, you know, not me casting aspersions on anyone who loves yeah. the old Marvel comics or anything like that. And I have, you know, I don't have a biblical knowledge of those things, so I could be wrong. Um, but just from looking at that film, I thought she was a great character for that film telling that particular mm. story and I don't think she needed to smack down every single man in her path in order to be considered feminist I also don't think she yeah. needed to overtly display emotion to distinguish the fact that she was a female character rather than a character who happened to be female etc yeah I, I, I do think some of us this, don't this cry a lot okay it's perfectly the... normal <laughs> there is just there's no one way of doing it and so I think it's natural that there's going to be some people who really, really connect with these sorts of characters and natural that there's going to be some people who just don't, you know, um, that's, that's okay because the point is that she's a nuanced character and that people have different, you know, feelings about different characters. Uh, for me, that's the sign of a good character. It's as a character that can divide opinions in that way. Yeah. <clears throat> Okay, um, uh, Francis Baby Houseman from Dirty yeah, Dancing. <laughs> I was quite random. Um, I think a lot of the criticisms levelled at this character are really to do with the fact of, you know, it. once again, it's set 1960s, it was made in the 80s, and the the context is that this is a coming of age story for a girl who's what 16 17 yeah. and who has a very strong sense of what is morally right um and she will always try to do the right thing and she sees things that other people don't probably because no one's really looking at her she's the baby of the family she's not she's not the supposedly beautiful older sister etc the one who mm. gets all the attention um but she really does have the she you know she's daddy's little girl kind of thing um and people hated that and they hated the fact that the whole story it was about her coming to know herself by falling in love and i'm just honestly the reason that romance is so popular is because having two characters who fall for each other tells those characters a lot about themselves and about who they are that doesn't mean you're defined necessarily by this person or a romance. It just means that it's a dimension of yourself that maybe you don't access in, unless you do form a, not even a romantic attachment, but a strong, loving, emotional attachment to somebody, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I don't see and why I that's such a problem. <laughs> no. And I think there's judgments which are also given with regards to the era of the story. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Which will affect things, um, 100%. Uh, but whether that is then down to the character or, you know, just extenuating circumstances or just recognising time, place and context, it's it's a whole bag. Okay, uh, 
Zoe, Inara, Kaylee, and River in Firefly. Again, Joss Whedon going to be a dividing uh, factor here. Honestly, I think if you decide you're just going to dislike something because Joss Whedon made it, then maybe you don't show up for the argument because that's not coming in with you know yeah. an open mind. Um, that there are absolutely people whose work I cannot touch because of things I find morally yeah. reprehensible about them. And do you know what? I tend not to argue about those things. I tend not to get involved yeah. because I know that I'm not unbiased. Um, I generally like these characters. The one that actually got the most criticism mm. levelled against her is Inara. And the reason it's levelled is because it's depicted as if sex work is somehow empowering ergo she's not a good character and i feel that that is a very facile viewpoint of what yes. is quite a complicated um, and nuanced issue one that i think firefly for some faults you know for various faults does actually recognize um and i i mean one of the th the good things about firefly was the fact that you did have these four very very different female characters and all of them were well portrayed each were different each was unique each had strengths and weaknesses and they were believable i believed in them you know i think they're all good characters yeah yeah i agree i think that that was another criticism that kaylee was a little ray of sunshine and too obliging and a mechanic but she liked to wear dresses and i'm like why are you saying that she yeah. can be a mechanic and covered in oil but she can't want to put on a frilly pink dress it's like why are those two things i mean okay i would suggest not wearing a frilly pink dress yeah. while you're working on an engine 100%. but why are those two things you know, incompatible i just I, th I thought that they were all great i i really did um i, I feel like the actresses also you know poured a lot of uh, you know a performance really does make a character um but they they did they felt nuanced they felt real um and the fact that you did have yeah. you know uh zoe who was this you know really kick-ass sort of character um yeah, tough you know, soldier, she, she, soldier. But she's so much more nuanced than just someone, a, a female character. Yeah, can kick she ass. really is. And there wasn't this kind of the sense of superiority. I think that's the big thing is that it wasn't her, you know, her being depicted as the best while the others were silly or useless or, or the butt of jokes. They weren't. They each had their own strengths. You know, Zoe was, I, I'm not yeah. going to say a hammer because she she isn't a hammer, She, but she, you know, she is... She she's quite she's a force, you know. She's a she's combative. Yes, she is smart and she's strong. And you know, she did know how to make a a good retreat when it was required. She was tactical, um, but she is then sort of you know, contrasted with Kaylee, who is much more sort of sunshiny, as you say, much more bouncy. And there wasn't the sense of one is better than the other. One is more feminine than the other. They were just different people and they did have this, this something which bound them all together. Um, so yeah, I, I don't agree. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the whole Inara being a sex worker thing, um, 
obviously it's legal. She She's actually the one respectable member of that crew. Yes. And she adds an element of legality to to Firefly, to, to mm-hmm. their ship. Um, and she's obviously a highly trained courtesan and they've got rules and they've got health testing and they, you know, it's, you know, it's legalized. It is, it is yeah. a respectable profession. Whether or not you personally agree with that is entirely down to you and your personal ideas. But I will say I've seen it in um, books like Cushiel's Dart, where you have someone who is, is literally working as a sex worker can, you know, in a, in a way that's very, very particular. Um, I don't think it's over glamorizing it, but you can also say that in both instances, the characters know what they're doing. Yeah. They've made an informed choice and yes. they're doing it consensually. Um, that was the best, you know, that was the best offer they were going to get in terms of, of work, etc. And perhaps they even enjoy their work. And who are we to really judge that? Exactly. I, I think, you know, there is a big thing in the, the fact that they do recognise there can be abuses in the system. And there can be moments where yeah. there can abuses there can be abuses in all systems. Um, and I think it, people who who sort of make that sort of make that observation that, you know, this is this is bad and therefore that, you know, you can't have an empowered woman who is a sex worker, um, fail to recognise the history of sex work, which is how it's actually made society. I mean, there are large parts of America which would just, you know, American history would be completely different without sex work. Yeah. Um, and it would be foolish to say, oh, it's so it's all good. No, it isn't. There are a lot of abuses with it, within it. Um, there are a lot of issues within it. Um, and it is a very, very unsafe sort of industry. But um, there have also been a lot of times where, in cases where it has been legalized, there have been parts of it which have been very successful and which have actually provided stability and opportunity for the people who enter it, who enter it with that, you know, willingly, wantingly, not just because it's their only option or because they've been forced into it. Um, And it's not unreasonable to have a world, a universe, where it has been legalised. And because it's been legalised, the criminal element, which dominates a lot of the sex industry otherwise, and which has opened opened up a lot of dangers to the sex industry um, has, uh, you know, has been removed. But at the same time, it's not gone entirely. There are still abuses, just like there are if you look at sort of the sex industry in in Holland, in Amsterdam, where there are lots of things happening in the underground, but there's levels to it. Um, and perhaps you could say, well, we wanted more nuance. Perhaps you could, but I don't think that yeah. automatically makes her as a character a bad one. I think it's just a very, very big topic, which you've got to look at with a lot of context. And which, you know, if the show hadn't been cancelled, they might well have got into, you know, we we don't know what could have happened. Yeah. As well. Okay, Ellen Ripley, Alien. I've got a feeling I might be discussing this one by myself. No, I mean, I... (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you you know the main beats. You can hardly have avoided that. No, I mean, I have watched Alien, but um, probably when I was far too young. Uh, And uh, I thought she was awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't really seen an awful lot of complaint about Ellen Ripley. Technically, she's a final girl in a monster movie that happens to be set in space. And generally, yeah. final girls attract criticism, and you know, with with good reason in some cases. 
Um, but what is really likeable about Ellen Ripley is the fact that, yes, she makes the initial, no, don't bring that on board, let's follow quarantine procedure, and she gets overruled by everyone else. Yeah. Ergo, the rest of the crew ends up dying. She's not a, naturally a warrior, she's just very resourceful, and she has this great survival instinct, and, and it's her own courage and her own brains that mean that she is able to survive to be tortured in another four or five films yeah, afterwards. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I mean, I think the interesting thing about her is that I, I think as well is that, you know, she's she's just a she's a blue collar worker, you know, the equivalent. Um, yeah, exactly. And looking at her, I believe it, you know, Sigourney Weaver, it, it, she, you know, she looks pretty strong. She looks pretty fit. Um, you know, she wasn't running around in high heels or anything like that as well, which again, there's nothing wrong with that, but which wouldn't have been you know, uh, appropriate for the job that she was doing and why she was there, etc. You know, um, she's a believable character yeah. in a believable position um, who goes through something which, despite the fact that it's totally, you know, horrifically, spectacularly speculative, um, also still feels believable. She's a woman who's trying to survive so something horrific, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, similar case with Sarah Connor in Terminator, particularly the first one. Uh, again, I haven't seen an awful lot of criticism of this character. Mm. Um, I think one one article might have said that she was almost too stupid to live, and I think that's really unreasonable because someone from the future sends back a robot assassin to take you out before you can have a child. And it's like, you're just a waitress. How are you supposed to react to that? Of course you're going to scream. I would scream. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, if, if someone breaks into your, you know, starts attacking you in general, screaming just feels like a fairly good, you know, first move, really. Yeah. Um, but again, she is, a, she is once again a final girl, but you believe her. She's resourceful. She's been through so much by the end of the film that you believe she could do something that would take out this this damaged terminator yeah um, and, and then what's great is seeing her progression by the second film she's got herself in serious shape you know linda hamilton has serious muscles in that film she's preparing she spent that whole time in a sort of deranged state of preparation for the next time they come for her yeah which again it feels reasonable that if you were in that position you'd say right well i'm gonna fight to survive you might very well just then, you know, <laughs> push towards that because that's your goal. Yeah, definitely. Okay, uh, Andrea, The Walking Dead. Yeah, um, first of all, small caveat, but the initial season of The Walking Dead, the first one, and maybe even the second one, doesn't do very well by its female characters. By the time you get to season three, I think they do. They start to do a lot better. Mm. Um, but I didn't really connect with any of the female characters initially. Mm. Um, but I do like me a good zombie type thing, <laughs> apparently. So there we go. But Andrea annoyed me, set my teeth on edge. And in fact, I, I should probably say what everyone else is saying before I get into what, what I think. Um, the main criticism is that she doesn't really add anything except, except somebody to act as the person arguing against whatever course of action is proposed. She comes forward very strongly, very opinionated, very strident. She's almost mm -hmm. always wrong. And she just seems to be one of those people who has to be heard. 
um, even when she knows she's wrong. I haven't seen an awful lot of supportive argument in, in that she's positive, other than, well, she's a female character in this typically male-dominated yeah. piece of speculative fiction. <laughs> Honestly, I agree with the negative commentary on her. She is so annoying, I was glad when she died. <laughs> I didn't like her at all. I do think she doesn't add anything other than she's somebody who argues. And the fact that she would so often charge off and do her own thing, even though it was going to endanger everybody else in the group, yeah. just really like, pissed me the hell off. Honestly, I, I, I'm not sure that I can comment. It's been so long since I've really watched it. I, I'm the same in that I didn't really connect with her. Um, and yeah, she was just, I did find her incredibly annoying. Um, but at the same time, I kind of understand what they were trying to do, but I think that they just failed to do it. And I, I feel sorry for the actress because I, I feel that, you know, I mean, if what the actress was trying to do was give you this abrasive, mm. annoying character, the actress yeah. did a fantastic job, so no slur on the actress, but the character sucked. <laughs> okay, um, Amy Dunn in Gone Girl, and you can talk about the film or the book here, but um, weirdly, I re-watched the film recently with Alan, and he said he, re he, was, he really enjoyed it as well. I think he enjoyed it more this second time round, and said... Yeah, it doesn't matter what her gender is. Basically, that's an intellect in a female body. Yeah. So she has made. She she she's made her plans based on what she's got to work yeah. with, which is something that you weirdly can't help respecting, even though she's a complete psychopath. Um, a lot of people have sort of said that she is a great character because she's incredibly flawed, really well-rounded. Not someone you'd ever want no. to be involved with, or know, <laughs> or have, want to have any of your family involved with. Um, at all but at the same time it's so rare that we see someone who is a genuine basically a sociopath or a genuine psychopath who is a female character and she is just such a great well-rounded nuanced portrayal of that and the fact that she's female is almost incidental and weirdly I find that makes it for a really good character in this context again I can't comment haven't read or seen it because that would not be my jam but it does sound interesting yes yeah definitely okay so we should probably start wrapping this up but um favorite female main character couldn't put you on the spot now madeline oh god <laughs> that's really cruel um and i <laughs> it's to give me time to think <laughs> <laughs> oh i see how it is um <laughs> sly like sly a fox. like a fox um i think this is really tough um, because I'm trying to think of characters who aren't just, you know, it's because it's going to sound really cheesy, but, you know, I've got to say that I, I currently, I, I just, I really like Amy. I, I, oh, thank you. I really yeah, like Yeah, I mean, Amy, I really liked but... <laughs> Emily um, a lot. And I have, I think, even more connected with, with Amy in a lot of ways. I liked them both. Um, as as female characters um, and it's a little bit difficult because I thought for a long time well maybe I just cannot connect with female characters uh, and that simply isn't true I can connect with a lot of very good female characters um, but I tend to really struggle with the way that they are written particularly or the way that they're directed um, 
particularly by men but not always by men sometimes by women and that is just a that's a personal thing it's not a they're wrong and everyone else is wrong it's just that oh this doesn't happen to appeal to me but i think with amy and with m and stuff like that a big part of the appeal was that i felt like these were people that i could be friends with um i felt that also one yeah. of their biggest strengths was that they were kind and kindness is you know they were kind resourceful and clever um but the fact in particular that they were very very kind um was something which just automatically drew them to me the the kindness and also the sense that they were just slightly outside of everything um i just couldn't help but automatically love them so yeah yeah <laughs> um, well, what about you well obviously i would say kestrel but um we're not allowed to talk about kestrel really so um i guess sorry i guess for me a formative character would be princess leia yeah and i i feel like that's one that gets quoted a lot and people are like oh yeah the chick in the gold bikini but no she is easily the most competent member of that fucking team <laughs> You know, she's politically astute. She cares. She's got a very deep sense of moral responsibility. She cares about injustice. Um, she is strategically and tactically minded. She's got courage in the moment as well. She's a bit abrasive in mm. her manner, but she's also, again, got this this kindness about yeah. her as well. So, yeah, great character. Yeah, completely <laughs> agree. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm... And I think one of the big things that's important to recognise is that as time goes on and as we change as individuals, we may very well also find that we are leaning more towards other characters or may change our kind of our view. And that's normal and natural. Um, I do think it's very, very important to recognise that when you are looking at a character and you don't like them is to recognise why you don't like them. Um, and to also recognise that what you might see as weaknesses in some respects might be seen as strengths for other people. Um, and that it's very difficult, to, that you should be careful when you're talking about things not being feminist. Um, because actually, uh, for some people, it might be a source of strength and empowerment, um, but they just happen to be different from you. And ultimately that, is the thing that we want. We want there to be enough diversity of character that people will find themselves represented and people will find themselves sort of empowered and enjoying female characters in one thing or another. That's what we've got to fight for. Um, and if we just continue saying, no, you're doing it wrong, these are all bad, what's going to happen is that either we're going to end up with this stringent set of, set, set of characters who are exactly the same because that happened to be the one thing which was working, which then become very tired, cliched, and tend to start actually not being very good. Um, and then we end up with less than what we had before. So just be careful when it comes to criticism because you might actually just be doing a disservice to yeah. the whole movement instead of actually uh, helping it improve. Yeah, definitely. 
of course we would love to hear what who your favorite female characters are and whether you agree or disagree with what we've said about these characters you know we love hearing new perspectives and opinions um so please do get in touch with us if you would like to add your bit before we go it is time for our dissecting dragons recommendation of the week and this week jules has got one for us yeah this is an unusual little historical fiction book but don't think historical fiction in terms of bodice ripper and don't think historical fiction in terms of political intrigue and war this is very different this is very much centered around one central character who is in fact a, f- a chef schooled in the art of french culinary artistry uh, this is set in the early 1800s and he is traveling from one place to another by ship his ship gets boarded by the pirate mad hannah abbott (laughs) she then proceeds to have her crew completely kill everyone on the ship apart from the chef to him she offers the following deal if he will make her a sumptuous meal every sunday then she will continue to spare his life so she basically (laughs) kidnaps this chef takes him aboard her vessel and there he is imprisoned on this pirate ship (laughs) and the whole thing goes from there as they go from enemies to unlikely allies to kind of friends to there is kind of a romance in there but don't go in being a romance first reader because you won't Mm -hmm. get what you want but it there is something there as well and it's just it's dark and it's funny and there's an awful lot in there about cookery and how you can stretch very meager rations to make very nice food um and he's just such a great great character Uh, the book is called cinnamon and gunpowder it's a great audiobook and it's by eli brown this is it just sounds so good (laughs) yeah it's it it definitely has its gritty moments and you know there's a whole sort of two pirate companies vying for position Mm -hmm. thing going on as well but the main thing is this french chef going from i've got to get off the ship so i'm going to keep cooking for it but i hate that bitch (laughs) kind of thing to oh god i guess i'm going back to her ship to warn her sounds really interesting (laughs) definitely have to check that out it's a really good book and on that note guys we'll say thanks very much for listening and we'll catch you guys next week yeah thanks goodbye bye you've been listening to dissecting dragons the speculative fiction podcast you can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from itunes For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissectingreaders or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note, no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.